2: Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here to recap the Titans' win over the New Orleans Saints. They're sixth in a row in 2021. Impressive stuff from the Titans. We'll be joined later on by Teron Davenport of ESPN.com. To talk about the Titans, we will talk with Teron about Ryan Tannehill. We're going to talk with him about Todd Downing and the coaching staff and, and how this offense of the Titans can get out of the, the fog, the haze that they've been in for the last couple of weeks. We will, of course, address those topics amongst ourselves as well, but we're very excited to have TD on in just a little bit. Let's start here, guys. Um, Titans are 8-2. and two. Heading into week 11 against the Texans. Uh, so they'll be 9-2 and two after that. Um, wow. <laughs> Who would have thought after the first four weeks of the season, which included a disastrous blowout loss to the Cardinals and then losing on the road to the Jets, that the Titans would be in this position where they've won six straight, two of those without Derrick Henry. They're the number one seed in the AFC right now with a two-game lead. Um, of that position, they're rocking and rolling.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I don't know who possibly could have seen this coming, especially given the stretch that they had the last five games. Like I know the Saints aren't a great team, and they had lost Jameis Winston, but they're still a very solid defensive team uh, and a very well coached team. Uh, and then add to that, they beat the Rams, they beat the Colts on the road. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. I mean, I don't know, man. Like I didn't see this coming, but it's fantastic, and they've put themselves in a really great position to come away with possibly the one seed in the AFC. Uh, I think they have a two-game. I think they have a two-game lead on the next of team in the AFC. Yes, that's correct. Plus, a plus, plus, they already have the tiebreakers over the Bills. Uh, and the Chiefs, which is huge, and I guess the Colts, if you want to say that they're close. Um, so great position, uh, and, and it's great. It's just a good time to be a Titans fan. Uh, even though they are dealing with a lot of injuries, but the bye week is coming soon, and I think that's gonna uh, even further rejuvenate the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much said it all. It's you know they throughout rotating. Seemingly every play on the roster, at least once, uh, like I, I don't, I don't know how they're able to continue to win because the, the team that won on Sunday is completely different than the team that won against Buffalo, which is completely different against the, than the team who won in Seattle. Like, I, I mean, it, 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 regrettably kudos to Mike Vrabel for just being able to <laughs> see the bigger picture and make that work. Because I, I mean, for all the stuff I think he does wrong, I mean, he sh- he sure seems to understand at the very least how to instill that, you know, next man up mentality that they preach so much because, I mean, Greg Mabin, uh, I'm trying to list off all the play. I mean, Naquan Jones, got to sack this game. I mean, like, every time it seems like they have the, a surprise the, injury. The linebacker. Uh, uh, every single linebacker. What's but, his uh, You're 53? talking about. Yeah, Cole, Dylan Cole. Dylan Cole, yeah. Um, Yeah, like, I mean, he has a forced fumble. Like, the fact that, you know, I think we've had different starting linebackers in every single game this year, like, from the week before, just a constant I mean, shuffle. They, like, they
2: haven't had the five starting O linemen, uh, Lawan, Saffold, Jones, Davis, Quesenberry, play an entire game together yet.
0: Nope. And, uh, I mean, like, I, I've said this a bunch before, but I don't think they've had the same starting wide receivers or the same starting offensive line. Uh, in back to back games all season, which is insane. But the, I mean, linebackers really cracks me up because it's like you have two of them. Like the Titans start two guys and they <laughs> yeah. can't get those same two to be on the field. Like, and you know, in some cases, it's been good for the Titans. Like, it, David Long is awesome. And you know if Jayon and Rashawn are healthy, Vrabel's not switching them from the starters. I mean, those, those are your starters if those guys are both healthy. Like oh, oh, David, I
2: mean, David Long is a starter if he's healthy. Vrabel has said that.
0: Uh, I think Vrabel said that he had started the past two games after Jayon got hurt. Uh, well, I but, mean, but,
2: in his, I mean, they've all one of the three of them have been hurt a lot lately. So, well, jury's still out on that. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Regardless, like it seems like we've learned a lot about the depth of this team, their ability to step up, and you know, I guess give them credit for cutting Bobby Hart because you know we've seen Matt Dickerson stay on the roster for a long time. We've seen you know other guys stay on the roster for a long time that didn't deserve to be there. So I don't know. I mean, this is all good news, and it's it's hard to be upset when you win and you're eight and two.
2: Uh, update. You mentioned Vrabel coaching very well. We talked last week about DraftKings Sportsbook having Vrabel as the as tied for second for Coach of the Year. He is now in sole possession of first place on DraftKings Sportsbook ahead of Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I can see it happening. I mean, we talked about it last week. The narrative sets up perfectly, losing Henry and the team staying together. And, and let me say this about Vrabel because there's going to be a lot of people who don't know anything about the Titans that tell you Mike Vrabel is a leader of men, and that is why he... Stop, okay? Leader of men stuff is nonsense. I agree, leadership is his crowning jewel, but not in like a rah-rah pregame speech for the boys kind of thing. What Vrabel is good at, and I've said this over and over again, and I'm going to say it again, Vrabel is good at organizing people. The same thing that made Hugh Jackson... I always want to say Hugh Jackman. The same thing that made Hugh Jackson a disaster with the Cleveland Browns is what makes Vrabel good with the Titans. Hugh Jackson could not manage people. His staff people, his staff members came out and said it was like working for Michael Scott. Mike Vrabel is good at managing people. Mike Vrabel has the same qualities as a head coach that a good business operator has. He manages well. He sets people up for success. He's a good communicator. So when people tell you that Mike Vrabel's strength is his leadership, yes, that is correct. But not because he's going to put something on the wall about how ESPN saying the Titans aren't a real 8-2 and two team and that's going to get the boys all fired up. No, it's because he's good at managing people. He's a good communicator. He's a good facilitator of success.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's like a players coach, you know. I, I I don't really like to use the term culture, um, but I mean, that's that's what he's good at. He's good at building a culture uh and just having everybody in line and also having everybody kind of buy in uh to what he wants and what he wants the team to be. Um and it works. It works and I do think he's probably going to win coach of the year if, if this continues if the Titans just keep winning games. Um I would say probably the other two guys that are are close would be Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, like we mentioned and possibly Matt LaFleur um, who we know very well from his one year with the Titans. So it's crazy. I mean, we've, we have ragged on Brabel in the past and we've even done it this year. Um, and there are still things that he does that we aren't totally sold on and they kind of bother us, but it's kind of hard to argue with results, not only this year, but throughout his entire tenure, the Times have just been a con- consistent winning team, uh, and we've pleaded for them to finally take the next step, and they're doing it. Like, they're doing it this yeah. year. They're 8-2. and two. They're going to win double-digit games, um, and they might get the one seed. They might win a couple of playoff games, and they might make it to the Super Bowl because nothing has pointed to the contrary so far this season.
0: Yeah, I mean it seems like it, you know, you can say well, now the offense has to funnel through AJ Brown, but then you have a game like Sunday where AJ Brown gets one catch and they still win. And it's like, well, you know, they they need people to step up on the pass rush and you know, they may have three guys with 10 sacks. Like, oh, they need better play from their corners. It's like, oh, Okay, well, Christian Fulton is one of the best corners in the NFL when he's on the field, and he's back healthy now and looks like he hadn't missed a beat. Like, you know, you know, we they need somebody to step up on offense. Marcus Johnson has a hundred yards receiving. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how this keeps happening because it does just seem like there's a narrative out there that they're trying to bust each week, and it seems to be busted. But, uh, I mean. Like I said, it's it's great for them. I mean, you, you knew, you're you right. Like 8-2 and two with the inside track towards the one seed and a bye week. I mean, the bye week for this team would be so important with how injured they've been. To basically get what – I think the first week of December is when the Titans have a bye week naturally. To get another bye week like five and a half weeks later or whatever it would be, I mean, that would be really good for this banged up team.
2: Well, you mentioned something there that they're winning in more ways than one. Uh, you know, the offense sputters out, the defense can can bring them through. Uh, I think that's been a very impressive part of this team this year. Uh, the fact that they have won in a lot of different ways. They've won with Henry carrying them. They've won with explosion in the passing game. They've won with smothering team on defense. I, I think that's a display of maturity for this team, kind of like what you were talking about, Matias, where, We've seen them grow. And, and off of that, I have this question for y'all. Have they matured to the point where the where they are finally detoxing from their adversity addiction? Because we talked in week three, excuse me, week, week four, when after the Jets game, whenever that was, uh, we talked about how this team under Vrabel has consistently been poor when they don't have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they didn't really have one against the Saints. The Saints... We're playing a bad quarterback in Trevor Simeon. The Titans were favored. I don't think anybody really looked at that game and expected the Saints to win without Alvin Kamara. And they went in and took care of business. It wasn't pretty, but I felt like the Titans kind of controlled it from start to finish. There was never a point watching that game where I was like, oh, no, here they come. Like, even at the end, I was always like, well, this is the Titans' game to lose. Uh, Have they grown out of that? Is it over? Or should we still, in the back of our head, have the "yeah, but"?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's not- just like I'm the same way. Just when I start to buy in, that voice at the back of my head is like, "But you know, Mike Vrabel too well," you know.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just I just know that in the NFL, any any week, um, anyone could beat you, and we've seen it happen to pretty much every team this season. Like. It's, it just keeps happening, and, and it has happened to the Titans with the Jets game. Um, I don't know; like I could see them dropping a game or two uh, for the rest of this season, uh, but I could also see them just beating everyone and finishing fifteen and two. Honestly, because they just keep finding ways to win. Like we said, uh, when the offense isn't playing well, the defense, you know, picks up the slack. Or in the Colts game when the defense looks like it's kind of reverting back to, to old, uh, to old habits, the offense comes through scores, you know, 30, well, they scored 27 cause, uh, one of them was an interception return for touchdown. But anyway, the offense did enough, uh, to get that overtime win. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like the times just keep finding ways to win. Uh, and they're doing it with players that really shouldn't be performing as well, uh, as they should. um, But, like, the next-man-up mentality for this team is very real. Like, players are just coming in when they're not supposed to or they really shouldn't have to, uh, and they're just performing it. We've seen it with a lot of cornerbacks on this team. Uh, We saw it with Marcus Johnson this past week. Uh, Deontay Foreman is out there, like, with some juice making plays, even in the receiving game. Uh, It's just great to see, and and I do feel like this team – I don't know. They f- kind of feel like a team uh, of destiny, and I hope uh, that continues to be the case throughout these last couple of weeks and into the playoffs.
2: Well, real quick, I just want to throw out that stat that Mike Vrabel brought up where the Titans have used 82 different players so far with what? Uh, they've played 10 games, so there's seven left, <laughs> and the record's 84. And Vrabel said, take the over on that one. Uh, that, yeah. It's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, he basically had to alert everybody to that record because nobody was really sniffing that out, and then he kind of said that, and uh, Kaharski asked him if he knew what the record was, and yeah. he said, yeah, it's we're too away from it. And so, yeah, I mean, now, all right. the <laughs> Let me, fr- first off, I, everybody put a pin in the injury stuff because I have a theory I want to talk about in a second. Oh, dear. Uh, which I've, I've talked to y'all about before a little bit, too, I think. But uh, the you know addiction to to need to overcome adversity i i will say i don't think i felt comfortable until after the saints game because the saints game was a classic nfc game you don't play them a lot yeah we talked They're about it last of, week yeah like it, it felt like a game where they could have snuck up and come in and stole a win and gone away and you know you know what it, it wasn't you know, it wasn't prime time. It wasn't the week Derrick Henry hurt himself so everybody could get hyped up behind that. It was it was a very good place for a letdown game, and it didn't happen. So I do think that helps a lot. Um, now, let's talk about the injury stuff. So they're obviously injured. Like, they, they get injured. They're injured more than any team in the NFL. I do think that there is... Again, you have to remember that Mike Frabel is, uh, you know, one of his redeeming qualities is that he is a master manipulator of the rules. Right. Like, yeah, he you know, on I I don't know how many people saw this. I I noticed it happened. The clock was running on Sunday uh, before two minute when they when uh, the Titans were in the red zone and uh, there was oh they had to delay a game. But the clock ran after the delay of game and it forced Sean Payton to take a timeout. Uh, I would imagine that was completely intentional uh, because it, it forced Payton to take a timeout. It ended yeah. up making a difference in the end. Like that was a very smart thing that, you know, it's it's taken a penalty to manipulate the situation and he won't get credit for it. So that's his credit for it there. Similarly the the injured reserve rules where you can basically juggle these guys and we've seen them do it. You basically juggle them from active roster to injured reserve to active roster to cut them and bring them back on the practice squad. You know, you, you can move so many guys around to make them available for game day that if you understand where you're deep, like Roberson going out, like, I mean, Roberson was hurt for sure, but, it it also was one of those things where it's like, we can bounce him here because Ola Adani has stepped up and he needs to be active and let's see what we have in him. And they've kind of done it with a few different players at corner. They've done it some. I'm surprised they haven't done it with Rashawn at linebacker. Uh, they've done it with – they did it with Laurel Murchison at defensive tackle and they bounced guys around that way. Like, they have done that and I think – the number of players that have been put on injured reserve, quote unquote, is a little bit overblown because I do think that's part of manipulating this to keep guys healthy around your team for as long as you can. But yeah, I mean, having said all that, you know, they've been super injured and and it's incredible to be in the position they are despite almost breaking that record.
2: You you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, They have been really good with the roster manipulation. Robinson obviously deserves a lot of credit. For that too, I think he's done a good job in season of you know next man up mentality. That's one thing, but Robinson also has to get them guys who fit and make sense. And the fact that you know he's able to understand that someone like uh, uh, Nate Jones is a good Uh, fit—that's a credit to him and his vigilance as as a general manager. Well, you said you wanted to put a pin. In the injury conversation, I drew a pen on my note sheet so that I wouldn't forget. I'm I'm taking this uh, pen out now. Uh, what what say you about the injuries?
0: So I think something that doesn't get, and I, I guess I should say doesn't get talked enough about by other people. But the weirdest and worst thing is the way the injuries have happened. It's you know. You know, there there's certain narratives that you know some of us in, on the podcast may believe in, and some of us may not. Where it affect, you know, injuries on the offensive line have affected, you know, quarterback play, rushing attempts, all that, and similarly with uh the rookie class with Caleb Farley getting hurt. Like I don't know, like you just have to imagine, like what what a different world this would be if the the injured play like just a few key injured players would never have gotten hurt like how much different would we think about this team if caleb farley's playing and he's taking over jenkins's spot and it's yeah jenkins uh fulton molden and uh chris jackson as like your two inside guys and then your two boundary guys like i mean Everybody would be talking about how good, the, and I mean, people are talking about it, but it's like, things like that, like, if when Lawan got hurt, they had just left Raidens at, at tackle, and then they let him play there, and then you don't have to play Bobby Hart, and, you know, it, like, these little decisions, that or little accidents that seem to have these big ripple effects, like, they, they've they been lucky to survive them the way they have, but it just, like, I, I constantly find myself going down a wormhole of, like, Or rabbit hole of what could have happened if they could have just stayed healthy or these small things were changed.
2: Here's an interesting question I want to ask the two of you. You can pick two players not named Derrick Henry who have missed at least a game for the Titans this year to instead of that fate have had a clean bill of health throughout the
3: entire season. Which two are you picking? Uh, Julio for sure. Um, and the second one is probably Farley, just because I feel like he's important for the future. And I think getting reps uh, this season would have been pretty important for him.
0: I didn't even think about Julio. Uh, <laughs> I'll go Julio and Lu- <laughs> mine. Mine would be Julio
2: and Lawan. Although oh, but, Bud, Lu- Bud Dupree is probably a close second to
0: Lawan. See, I was thinking like. I was in a different direction out there at least, you know, I was thinking, uh, Rashad Weaver, y'all remember how freaking dominant, uh, Rashad Weaver was in the, like the preseason. And imagine him with this defensive line instead of like, you know, extra snaps for Peko or, you know, just random guys that they throw out there and pretend they're defensive ends sometimes like, he would have been so good on this. And he will, like, he will. He's not dead. Like, I mean, he will be good on this defensive line next year. But, man, him and Autry, like, all those big bodies, like, that that would have been perfect for what this defense needs. And then Farley, of course, because, I mean, if he stays healthy, like, he was rusty and, like, you know, he was going through it. But we've seen what a difference a year made with Fulton. You know, just be out there and be taking reps and moving around. Like, even if you're not great, you know, we've seen what can happen in a year, so that that would have been important.
3: Yeah. um No, I just I I, I heard you say Rashad Weaver preseason, uh, and I also remember that Trayvon Coley got put on IR uh, after one of the yeah. preseason games, and he looked awesome, and I think. Once we saw that, we probably should have been like, okay, this this defensive line is going to be great this season because if those guys are dominating in a preseason setting, then something was clearly working even before the season started.
0: Yeah, I mean we we could take legitimate stuff from the preseason. Like Ola looked good, he looked he's looked good when he's played uh, I mean, David Long looked great. Monty Rice looked great. Like we I think we've learned that preseason has some value outside of just entertainment. But, you know, you've just got to be careful not to fall in love with like receivers.
2: yeah, I, I think that of the changes the NFL has made in my football watching lifetime, a three game preseason is the best one because I have always said, I did not like having four preseason games. Never said it didn't matter. Always said it didn't matter enough to do it four times. I think they hit the sweet spot with three. I was interested in all three games, like you said. Well, we took things away, and we didn't have to endure that fourth game where it's people we're never going to see again for the most part out there. I, I thought that was. I thought it worked out great.
3: Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I never thought I would, but I do agree with that. Yes, we are all preseason fans here. (laughs)
2: Um, Let's talk about the Titans offense, guys, because, Matthias, you made up the comment that this Titans team is 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 heading in a direction where they could uh, uh, perhaps get to the Super Bowl. Uh, They're not going to do that, I don't think, if the offense keeps playing this way. Now, again, the big question looming is when does Derrick Henry return, and we won't know the answer to that question for for still some time, but... Without Derrick Henry, this offense has been underwhelming. And and we knew they would take a step back. We knew they wouldn't be as good without Derrick Henry. But but we didn't expect them to sputter. And outside of situational football where, you know, they've been good in the red zone, good in short yardage, it hadn't been great. Um I think you can blame a lot of different parts of the offense for that. Um but but what do you guys think needs to change? And we'll talk to Teron about this too. But but what needs to change for this offense to start, again, not necessarily being explosive because they lost that element with Henry gone and now Julio Jones on injured reserve, but to be efficient?
3: Uh, it's tough. Um, I don't want to go directly into the Todd Downing uh, thing because I feel like Will has more um, emotional, <laughs> 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 more, more thoughts on it uh, than I do, but... Yeah, I mean, the Titans have too many drives that are pretty are awful. They're just not efficient. Uh, they end within, like, three to five plays. Uh, they barely get any yards, and then they have to punt it away. And, I mean, that has to change. Um, but that's a very general thing because there are a lot of uh, different factors that go into that. I think the pass blocking uh, needs to get better. I don't know if it will because it's been pretty hit or miss the entire season. Uh, I do think getting Luan back would, would go a waste toward uh, fixing some of those issues Um, and the run game is bad. Like it's rough, but I don't know if the run game really matters all that much because whenever they run play action, like it's fine. Like they find uh, open receivers uh, and they're really good at just faking the run. Like even on, uh, on the goal line on the pass to Michael Pruitt that ended up in a touchdown, like, they faked me out they faked the camera guy out on on the broadcast feed like it was it was that good like and Derrick Henry's on the game so it's not totally uh exclusive that you can only run play action with Derrick Henry and I think if they do that more I do think the offense will be more efficient and a lot of these drives will will end up being uh better but I don't know if Todd Downing sees it that way
0: yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to beat this same dead horse too many times, but, you know, they can always do more play action. Uh, that always seems to work for them. Um, I, like, the problem is they started running the ball well in the second half. Like that, The story should have been how much better the second half of football was for the running backs uh, than the last six halves before it. But because they were so conservative and they didn't score, you know, they didn't put the game away, it's more about like, you know, the Saints coming back. But I mean, Deontay Foreman, uh, he had, I think he had two catches uh, that were pretty good. I know he had one in the first half. I know he had the, you know, the long one that went for like 50 yards or whatever, um, the screen. And then there were a couple of times, especially I think Peterson's like last carry or like one of his last few carries where he went for eight yards and he cut the way he cut was so violent. And he's like actually ran like he looked like Adrian Peterson for a second. I was like, okay, cool. That guy is still in there. It's just, we, we need to work on the chemistry and he needs to be able to remember that Bobby Hart's not on the left side. Like, I mean, he's going to be permanently scarred from that. So what can they do better? I mean, obviously like if you're going to run it, you know, it would be better to learn warmups when you weren't going against or uh, you know Aaron Donald one week and then Davenport and Cam Jordan the next and the best run defense in the in NFL like that that would have helped make things smoother i mean Marcus Johnson looks good like he's looked good every time he's been targeted i don't know why he hasn't been a bigger part of the offense like i forget what game it was maybe it was the Colts game uh when they were at home or maybe it was jacksonville but there there was a game where he had two catches that went for like 45 yards and i was like oh that's cool and then he disappeared for five weeks so i mean make him more part of the offense like figure out how to use him and uh aj brown together in a way that you know makes it uncomfortable for defensive backs to play over there like I mean, there's a ton of little things. It would also help if they didn't settle for field goals uh, when they did in this past game because I think they got to the red zone. Didn't they kick three field goals total? Because uh, I think you would have to, right? Uh, I think they kicked three field goals anyway. But if you just punch in one of those, it's the game is never close. So, I mean, just work on those things. Like get it a little bit crisper. but. I mean, I don't think they're as far away as maybe the, the scores would indicate, and I'm hoping that the Texans game kind of provides a chance for them to relax everybody a little bit.
2: Well, how many times did the Titans run play action on Sunday? Seven. How many of those seven plays resulted in a pass completion?
0: Seven. Yeah.
2: I, th- I think we know where the sweet spot is for this group, huh?
0: Yeah. It sure, sure would be nice if Todd Downing had ever looked at those numbers before. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that uh, that stat to our attention.
2: I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill. Will seems to think that I'm going like, to go scorched earth on him. I'm not. Uh, but before we talk about Ryan Tannehill and give our opinions for how he has played throughout the 2021 season, we're going to get someone else's opinion. We're going to bring Teron Davenport of ESPN.com into the show. And we will, before anything else, because we're going to talk about a lot with Teron, but first we're going to ask him what he thinks about what Ryan Tannehill has done throughout this season. That coming up here on No Nonsense. Joined now by Teron Davenport of ESPN.com. He covers the Titans for NFL Nation. Teron, the main reason we wanted to have you on is because we wanted to have a discussion about Ryan Tannehill and what he's done for the Titans this season. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about what he has and what he hasn't been able to do for the team this year. They're 8-2, and two, but there have been some ugly turnovers. How do you, I guess, rate, without getting into nonsense like a 1-10 to 10 scale or anything like that, how do you rate what Ryan Tannehill has done for the Titans this year?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. It's a bit different from what we've seen in the past just because of the level of interceptions that he has. I think when you look at just His overall title, and a lot of Titans fans get upset when I use this phrase. I don't think it's a bad thing because Dak Prescott, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, these are all guys who at once were what I'm about to call Ryan Tannehill, and that's a game manager. And I think the role that he's carrying this year or just how he's filling that role is not the same because of the turnovers. But if you look at what you ask him to do, I think he's operating this offense efficiently. And although they're not, you know, scoring in in, in two or three plays, they're still effective on offense situation-wise.
2: You know, over the past two years, we saw Tannehill put up like Pro Bowl type of numbers. He was one of the best downfield throwers in the league. Right. And none of that's there this year. The explosiveness is not there. How much of that do you think is, is him and mistakes that are being made? And how much of that is attributable to... Just the stuff he's had to go through with the revolving door of receivers and offensive linemen.
1: Yeah, I think that does have a lot to do with it. He's taken some shots. They just haven't connected, unfortunately. I mean, there there have been, um, you know, some, some downfield shots that he's taken. But another thing that factors into that, and it's not all the sacks, you know, and the times that he's hurried or, or hit, it's not always, you know, on the offensive line, but When you look at the inability to push the football down the field, that does have a bit to do with it. You can't really call those deep shots as much because he's getting rocked a little bit more than he has in the past. Then at the same time, the the play action passing game, like you go to play action, a lot of people look at that and say, hey, you know, you go to play action just because of the run fake. It's more than just a run fake because typically in play action, you have that running back blocking after he, you know, takes that play fix. So that gives you max protection, which gives those routes time to go down the field. But it's just not timing up. And uh, it, it's unfortunate because I really thought that Josh Reynolds coming aboard. Because If you go back and watch his A&M tape, that guy was a legit deep threat. He averaged 17 yards per reception. And I remember at the senior bowl catching bombs, but it just unfortunately didn't happen for him in the time when he was with the Titans. So that definitely has a lot to do with it.
0: Hey, Tron. It's Will. Uh, so you you touched on this a little bit. I have a, I would guess, uh, depending on the game, a major problem with how how little play action Todd Downing calls. Like they're down oh. something like five or six percent of the dropbacks, which, I mean, it, people people don't think that's a lot, but I mean it's it's a large chunk. I mean it moves them to middle of the pack instead of the front of the pack where they were last year and. I, I'm I'm not going to say that Tannehill would be the same quarterback if they were throwing more play action. What I would say though is all of his numbers are better when they run play action. Uh, it it mm. seems to put more of a rhythm in the offense. It more than this, you know, empty set five wide, you know, shifting guys out and doing that. Like it, it seemed like he was more comfortable in that last year. The offensive line was more comfortable running that last year and. Todd Downing has continued to have success there. And then as soon as he has success, he pulls back and goes the other direction for almost no reason. I mean, am I crazy in thinking that if this team would run more play action, that it would look a little bit more like they did last year?
1: Yeah, it it could look a little bit more. But another thing you got to consider is a lot of times, like if it's if it's third and 13, I mean, you know, yeah. Naturally, linebackers are going to bite on, on a run fake, but for the most part, they're not going to bite as hard as they would if it's if it's third and four or, or second and short. So, a lot of what you're seeing, and it's it's so interesting. This is one of the things I love about football: how much things are interrelated, right? So, not a lot of success on first down changes just everything that you have to do because you're already behind the sticks on second. You know, so if you have more success on first down. You know, and get into that second and six, second and four, those type of situations. Then that play action is is very much something that will be in play. But I, I think down and distance has had its 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 role in that too. So that's a, a big reason for me as to why it's not the same. But then also just, I mean, that was Arthur Smith just had a, a passion for working play action, right? And and hitting AJ Brown on that slant or that bomb to Khalif Raymond. I think what you're saying is just a different play caller, you know, uh, directing the offense.
0: And sort of talking about things that Arthur Smith did really well, that Downing's struggling with, the scripted plays, I mean, Mm -hmm. they they would just be better punting the first – this is my opinion. They'd be better punting (laughs) the first two first downs and then just letting Tannehill put his input in after that. Because, I mean, it is – uh, it's either fake razzle dazzle or it's inefficient play after inefficient play. I mean, I, I I don't like it. Is there any reason why the scripted plays seem to be so hard this year, other than just I guess they have to deal with so many injuries?
1: Well, that's another area where down and distance comes into play, right? Because you know you could have a script written up, but it's just like what what did what did Mike Tyson used to say? Everybody has a plan until they get punched oh, yeah, in the mouth. Know. Yeah. You know, and you can have a script written up and, and want to do, okay, these are our 15 plays that I know we're going to work with, but what happens if you get a penalty on, on second down and, and now you're, you're at, instead of second and, and five, you know, you're at second and 20 or 15. You know what I mean? So those things have a lot to do with it. It's just a lot of times that script, it, it is something that, that they try to stick to, but you, you have to get away from it just because of situations. Um, I, I think Todd Downing... It's like, it's hot and cold with him because some days I'll watch him and just be like, yo, he's really in his bag. Like he's in a groove. These plays are layered. He's setting things up, tucking this away to, so this will be good later. But then other times it's like, what? I mean, help me out here, man. Like I'm trying to understand what it is he's trying to do. So there is a lot of up and down with it. Absolutely.
3: Hey, Teron, Matthias here. Uh, moving from, right. I guess, a little bit of the negativity maybe to something more positive, uh, we've talked a lot about the improvement of the Titans' defensive line, uh, and you actually recent, re- recently wrote an article about the pass rush and how well it's been playing. Uh, what would you say has been the biggest change from last year to this year, aside from adding talent that you've seen with the defensive line and their level of play, or is it just the addition of that talent that has made the biggest improvement?
1: I think it's all those, right? And I I guess the the best way to put it is starting with the the front end and the back end being together. And one of the things that people would always say, you know, um, last year I remember, uh, and and I got called silly and and off base for this, but, you know, I explained that, hey, listen, you know, that back end, if they start challenging at the line of scrimmage and start knocking off that timing, that's going to make – everything better because that gives those guys an extra tick to, to get home. And, I mean, they're not challenging as much as I thought they should have, but the covers on the back end is a lot better. And you look at Jeffrey Simmons' his first sack uh, last week, That was a that's an excellent example. So I, I think you're seeing that, right, the back end and front end being married perfectly. And then in addition to that, uh, Danico Autry, that addition is not one to be slept upon. You know, that guy came in and, I mean, like he's what I call a dog, like that's absolutely everything that, that he brings to the table and you heard how Jeffrey Simmons uh, gushed about him and, and how he said that he's learning things, and it's really good to have a guy to actually you know be out there, and like tell you something, give you a tip, and then actually show you exactly how it's executed. and that's what you're seeing. and then uh, you know Harold Landry, you know he's, he's become a closer, like he went from a middle reliever to. You know, the guy you come in is to shut the game down. Like, he's, he's closing the deal on these quarterbacks. And, and I, I think it's collectively they're, they're doing really well. And it's funny because they're blitzing a lot less this year because they don't have to, right? But when they do, it's pretty effective. You see Elijah Molden and David Long blitzing pretty well. But I, I think that's really what it is, that front four and that secondary, they're matched really well.
2: As a former receiver, I'm curious what you think about the Julio Jones saga, so far this season, because I think when they traded for him, everyone sort of said, you know, don't expect this guy to practice a lot. He's older, but it's all going to pay off when he's out there making plays on Sunday. Well, now, not only is he not practicing, but he was becoming perennially week to week, and then finally it's like they they put the situation out of its misery and, and put him on IR, which will keep him out for the next few weeks. I, is this normal? Like, I feel like... Even receivers who continue to get opportunities into their, or, you know, early thirties, they're they're not week to week like this. And and do you think this situation changes at all when he comes off of IR?
1: Man, let me tell you something. I can't tell you from experience because fortunately I never had to deal with it. But they said once that hamstring monster jumps on you, cancel Christmas, man. Like it's, yeah, it's just something that stays with you. There, there's. And you heard how AJ was. Uh, Luke, when, when when on that Friday, when you know he was asked about that hamstring, he didn't want to mention it. So I, I think, regardless of age, that's something that's going to be a factor for any anybody. And and with with Julio, and I've said this before, the thing with him, and I gathered that from actually being able to see him in person, he puts a lot of torque and and pressure on his joints because his cuts are so hard. Next time you're at well, I can't say next time, Luke, because Luke, he, we, the next time we're at practice, you won't see him. But if yeah. you think back to some of the practices, listen to him run routes, and then listen to Chester Rogers run routes. Okay. Listen to him run routes, and listen to even AJ. They use similar body types. The thump and, and the, the, the impact when his feet hit the ground is totally different. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with those soft tissue injuries. Uh, that's something that Alshon Jeffrey, I remember... I uh, talking to his channel Steve Whitehead um it, he had told me about Alshon and I remember seeing him and he, he said he actually taught Alshon how to run differently and in doing that they were able to cut out a lot of the soft tissue injuries that he had he had a history like like Julio Jones did so I mean that's that's just kind of my perspective on there uh once you get a hamstring like I don't care if you're injury prone or not you know that that's just something that you know, it, it's just time. That's It's just time. It, you have to give it time. And they tried to do it uh, and gradually bring him along, and it got to a point where he was okay. But then, you know, making that cut, and if you just kind of simulate the motion at the top of your routes, right, you you plant with your right foot and then you turn with your left foot and, and break out to the towards the sideline, that's a lot of pressure on your hamstring, and that's where it
2: happened. Well, I remember that video that you put on Twitter last week, I guess it was, where he – Looked like he ran like a quick yeah. out and and came up uh, exactly. grabbing at it.
1: Yep, yep, that was the, and that's exactly why I, I went through that that simulation. You know, planting on your right foot and then turning with your left, and like you could feel your hamstring, uh, like not being gas but being utilized. You know, because that is in effect, your hamstring is a gas pedal. You, you know what I mean? So uh, that that's that's why it happened right then and there, and he knew it, and that's why he had the to. Uh, you know, in the video.
0: So going from Julio to talk more about AJ, I mean, he's, he's always had issues with drops every now and then, like, you know, it would be 10 really consistent games. And then one where there was a hiccup and he had two or three drops that, that doesn't matter. My big focal point is without Derrick Henry and without Julio, let's, let's assume that Julio is on a limited snap count or not even in the game until the playoffs. The only way I can see this offense really being able to use A.J. Brown effectively is if they start to use him more in the slot, and they were doing that when he had so many big plays against uh, Kansas City and Buffalo and uh, I think even Indianapolis, uh, his touchdown. I I know he had one against Jacksonville, but my point is he's starting to get extra tension when he's outside. There's really nobody else. I mean, Marcus Johnson, maybe he... Eventually earns respect enough where teams can't cheat so much. If you keep having 100 yard games, that'll happen. But the only way I can see him not getting followed by the team's best boundary corner or getting enough safety help over the top is if they start really considering moving him inside and leaving somebody like Nick westbrook Akina or, you know, somebody else opposite those other two receivers. Is there a way you can use him that's not in the slot where you can get off of that double coverage and that, you know, extra you know safety leaning that way and you know everybody keying on, on that receiver
1: yeah absolutely you could work him out of the backfield which is something they started to do a little bit i think you, you can still go to those bunch formations and i mean if you go to bunch right like a trips type of look you're going to naturally have some safety help over top but what you do is do like switch releases and they actually did that a few times where he was the outside guy right and they had uh Chester Rogers, you know, uh, as the f- number three, and then Westbrook Kenney was number two. Even Josh Reynolds on, at one point was number two. And what, what they ended up doing was um, Reynolds or Akeni, or the point man, the guy on the line of scrimmage, he would run that slant. Rogers would run kind of like a wheel route or an outbreaking route, and A.J. Brown would, would come off the, off the line one, two and then break to the slant as well. And that, that was a way just to kind of, like, create a whole lot of traffic there and give the DB some, some sp- like, bodies to sort through before he could take on A.J. Brown. And they did that a couple times for him. So that's something you could do. The other thing you could always do is, is use him in motion, right? Because when you use motion, it's a lot harder to get, to get a jam on, on a guy when, you, you know, you're not right there on the line of scrimmage and he's off the ball a little bit. So mm-hmm. that's something else. But to be honest, like looking at, at the last couple of games, that's, that's one thing that, that I, I picked up Lattimore didn't travel with him at all. Like he was pretty much uh, at, at right corner uh, most of the game or left corner, rather most of the game. So um that didn't really happen as much uh, against Jack uh, Jackson. I always, I keep associating Ramsey with the Jaguars (laughs) against the Rams. um, You didn't see that as much either. So uh, the concept is there, like the theory is there, but it's not happening as much as you would think. And I I think that's just because, you know, teams are are just like, I don't know that they feel he's to the point where you have to shadow him with your top corner. It just kind of seems that way from, you know, some of the games where you have elite premier corners. And the other thing is, even moving them into the slot, sometimes they corners like Ram- Jalen Ramsey, like he could play that nickel spot just as well. You know, he's playing space as much as, you know, you have him playing the field or boundary side. So then uh, that's how Lattimore is too. So there are some corners that are really good like that to where I don't care where you line up. They, they could go wherever. And I, I'm going to tell you a guy who's up and coming, that is going to be that guy in the next year or two. And it's someone who I loved pre-draft. It's someone who I'm very high on now, and that's Christian Fool.
0: Yeah, he's yes. a stud.
2: One, one last question for you, Teron, and that is, what does this Titans offense need to do to get out of their, what, what has appeared to be like a post-Derek Henry uh, haze? Because over the last two weeks, they've been pretty good situationally, converting most of their red zone chances, good in short yardage. But the running game has been inefficient a lot of times. And against New Orleans, they really struggled to move the ball. Granted, two talented defenses right in a row. Right. But, but what are you looking right. to happen, maybe in a get-right spot, if you will, against a really bad Texans team, to, to get this offense ticking and clicking without Derrick Henry?
1: Yeah, well, well, you said it. They need to not play the Saints or Rams. That's first and foremost. Because both of those defenses are, are disgusting. Uh, I, I think, you know, what I would do, frankly, first play of the game, like you talk about scripting plays, hey, first play of the game, Adrian Peterson is in the game. I'm going hard action, play action, and I'm running A.J. Brown, Chess, whoever it may be, I'm running somebody on that post route, and I'm trying to hit a deep shot to let this Texans team know right from the jump, like, look, man. I'm putting my hand in your chest and I'm grabbing your heart and I'm taking (laughs) it out. That's really what it's like, go for the kill right away. And if you don't score a touchdown on that, you go tempo, right? And, and, you know, you you go that play action deep shot, whoever's running that deep route, tell them to come off the field, send another receiver in there and go tempo. I think that's really what you have to do. And and, and Luke, you've heard me ask Tannehill about it, heard me ask Todd Downing about it. And, and bring up the fact that it creates a sense of urgency, and that's why you go temple because you want that sense of urgency. You can't start off slow like this team right here, the Texans. They're like they're like a a, a mutt on the side of the road just waiting to die after it got ran over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. you you want to you want to kill that thing right away. Like don't even give it a reason to live. And that's why that first drive, I'm going out and, and I'm I'm setting the tone right from the jump that we are taking shots and we are going to try to score, not try to, we are going to score this football as many times as possible. I think that's really the the approach that they need to have. Like, they they have to, you know, it it is a get-right game, like you mentioned. It's one of those games where you got to put everything together offensively. It's kind of like what the Bills did to the Jets, right? You know, the Jaguars smacked them upside the head and they said, well, you know what, we want to show the world that we are a a top-level offensive team. And that's what they did against the Jets. And for yep. the Titans, you know, they got smacked upside the head offensively two weeks in a row. So it's was like, hey, look, we want to show the world that even though Derrick Henry is the MVP of the league, we could still do some things on offense without him. So I think that's the approach to Todd Downing. I would expect him to be very aggressive this week.
2: Deron, thanks so much for the time. We always love having you on, and we appreciate the insight and the knowledge that you bring
1: Oh, no problem, man. It's always fun to come on and, and talk a little shop. And it, it's it's pretty cool to be on the other side of your of your questions, Luke. You know, I always <laughs> like your questions for Coach Rabel, and I know he likes them too.
2: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Teron.
1: You guys got it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you.
2: Thanks. A mutt on the side of the road waiting to die. That may be one of my favorite lines ever spoken in our five years of doing this show. We will be back in 30 seconds on No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. All right, guys, as we talked about before we had Teron on, we were going to get his opinion on Ryan Tannehill, which we did. Now it's time for our opinions on Ryan Tannehill, and and, and I'm pretty much with Tehran. I think that he's done a good job of managing the games, and and like Tehran said, that 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 phrase has almost become a pejorative, but I don't I don't mean it in that way. He uh, he's guided the Titans to wins. He's for the most part done what he's needed to. It's just I don't see him elevating the players around him in the way that he has in years past, even when Henry was still in there. The downfield assassin that we saw in 2020 and 2019 um, has sort of disappeared. Uh, And the turnovers have not been great. It's three weeks in a row. Granted, the one this week didn't count because of a roughing the passer penalty that a lot of people even thought was bogus. Um, But three weeks in a row, like maddening interceptions. One in the triple coverage against the Colts threw a quick out against Jalen Ramsey on his first throw of the game against the Rams, horrible decision. And then he threw like an arm punt to Marcus Williams against the saints this week. Uh, that's my biggest criticism of him. He's still the man. Like Vrabel said, the Titans go as he goes. I I just think that the production is not there. The explosiveness is not there. The elevation of his teammates is also not there.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, even though I feel like we had the same type of conversation uh, last week, yeah, but yeah, uh, well, nothing has changed because he played okay in the Saints game. Uh, but like you said, that that of Marcus Williams that got called back, like that was that was something that he just didn't really do the past couple of seasons, and we've seen it a little bit too often uh, this year. And I don't know why. Maybe he's just trying to make more things happen as the Titans offense is dealing with more injuries and just not as efficient. maybe he's just trying to fit um, plays where they're not there. Um, Or maybe he's just not seeing or trusting his eyes. I'm not totally sure, Um, but he's been fine. Like he, he's been probably above average. He just hasn't been as amazing as he was the last two seasons. Um, And it's, it's interesting because a, a lot of the, like, metrics based grading and whatever, like I know we hate PFF, but PFF is one of them. And there's also the, um, the completion percentage over expected. That's like, uh, making its rounds across the analytics community in in order to, to, to gauge a quarterback's performance. Like he's in the same spot that he was last year. Like they believe that he's having a top five quarterback season, Um, And it's interesting. I I assume a lot of those things take into account uh, his situation, the offense, uh, the injuries, the pass protection, and all of that. Um, And they assume that uh, they think that he's playing just as well as he has uh, the past couple of years. I I don't. I I do think he's taken a little bit of a step back. uh, But I also am conscious that the pass protection has been awful. I mean, he's the most sacked quarterback in the league um, he hasn't had Julio Jones for barely any games this year, um, and, and Todd Downing hasn't exactly been a, a ruthless offensive coordinator like Arthur Smith was uh, for a lot of the past couple of years. So, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on him. I think there's he could definitely play better, and if he does, like, man, the 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 Titans' offense is really going to reach a ceiling if Derrick Henry and Julio Jones come back from injury and, and play like. Ah, uh, their normal selves, but you know the the jury is kind of out on on whether uh, Tannehill will be able to to reach that ceiling this season.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's all about context, right? Like, do, like ha- do his numbers look worse th- this year? Like, yeah, I mean, they do undoubtedly. Like, you can't change that. Like, I I would say. I wouldn't put as much emphasis on the interception in the end zone because it didn't actually count. Like, it's not like it's, you know, and it's not some big injustice that like, Oh, the saints were robbed and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you can't hit the quarterback. He gets hit all the time. He gets a lot of those penalties because he's constantly hit. It's just a, you know, a roulette wheel that people keep spinning. And if you keep hitting him in the head, eventually you'll get it called whether you actually do it forcefully or not. Like, The same thing happened in the Colts game versus the Titans. Like that, you know, when Jeffrey Simmons hit a guy before the whistle blew and he got a flag, like, you know, it that, you know, you can't complain about calls, all that. I would, I would strike that from the record, but on the whole, like the context of the situation isn't, he's not elevating people around him. The context is everybody around him is dying. I I mean, his hall of fame running back is out. His left tackle has been in and out of the lineup His right guard has been in and out of the lineup. Like, his, you know, supposed number two receiver is in and out of the lineup. Last year, he got 14 games from uh, A.J. Brown and 14 games from Corey Davis. Like, he probably won't get 14 games from, I mean, I guess he might get 14 from A.J. if he stays healthy and plays all the rest of them. But, like, who else is, I mean, who else is going to start, like, truly start for this team for more than eight games at wide receiver. Like, they can't decide Chester if they like Westbrook Uh No, I don't even think he's starting. Like, I, yeah, like he's I, like, I, I, a baby from coy. the offense. Yeah, but, I mean, like, that's the thing is it's, like, it's funny because it is a giant house of cards that's already fallen. Like, the only reason they can score points is because Tannehill is able to, you know— I mean, I guess it's not elevating Marcus Johnson because I expect him to get 100 yards every game, so I guess that's cool. But, like, he, anytime any of these people catch passes, it is him elevating people because these are not guys that were making plays on other teams. These are, you know, undrafted free agents or, you know, guys who were cut in afterthoughts and free agency because, you know, the other two big factors of this three-point offense are out. So... I mean, I don't know, like it it feels like we're shooing away the idea of not having the same offensive line, not having the same receivers and having a new system that's being implemented like poorly in front of you. Like feels like every other year that's that would be a pretty big deal. But because the Titans are winning and people want to look for something to point at, it's like, well, imagine how good they'd be if Tannehill was better. It's like if Tannehill was better, he'd win the MVP. I mean, he's dragging nobody's up and making them viable starters like yeah i i mean i like like teron said like uh Lattimore latimore wasn't trailing aj that's not how they gave him extra attention like they st- they would just shade safeties and keep eyes on him and focus on him the whole time in coverage but i mean there were several times where Lattimore was on marcus johnson when he was making those receptions and it's not because marcus johnson is lights out better than Lattimore. it's because Tannehill went through his progressions when he was given time. He hit guys in stride. Like I don't know. It, it seems like we downplay the things that are going wrong, and then we uh, we make everything else so big. You know, or we downplay the things that are going. Uh, yeah, sorry, that are going right for him. But every time he does something wrong, it's just emphasized more and more. I, it seems like a weird argument to have. I don't understand it.
2: Last topic before we get into stop the nonsense. Pro Bowl voting for the NFL opened on Tuesday. Instead of going through a list of, you know, this guy, this guy, pick one player on this team that is the most worthy of a Pro Bowl designation. I think I know where Will is going to go.
3: Mm, man, I, oof, this is tough. I mean, I, it's between Simmons and Landry, right? Yeah, like, I, I think, think it's really there's... between those two. I would say Simmons. I feel like he's been slightly more dominant. I don't know. Landry's been awesome. I'm going to go with Simmons.
2: I'd probably say Landry because I think Landry's been more consistent. Simmons has kind of exploded over the last couple of weeks. I I think there's a chance all three of the big pass rushers, Landry, Simmons, Autry, get in.
0: Yeah, Bayard should be mentioned too. Oh, Honestly. Of course. Oh we, my
3: God, I forgot about Bayard. Yeah, yeah,
0: like I, I assumed we would just like lump him in already. Like I mean, he's already in I'm, I'm, gonna, somebody, I'm gonna
2: go back. I'm gonna say Kevin Bayard. That's my answer. I, I don't know why I, I forgot about him.
0: him. Because Harold Landry's so dominant. Uh yes. I somebody who should be mentioned, who Teron mentioned at the end of his his interview with us. Christian Fulton is really, 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 really good. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was targeted, and I don't know where that PFF stack came from where he was targeted one time and it was, an, it was a pass breakup. That's not true. Like, he was the first man around several times, and I believe he had three passes disrupted and knocked away. Like, there was no completions on him. You mean like, pro I football mean, focus was wrong? I know, it's crazy. I don't know if they take their stuff from man <laughs> coverage only. I, I, that was confusing me because I swear he had more. But, yeah, Fulton's been awesome. Like People forget he put DK Metcalf in a blender so bad that it messed up the rest of his season. Like I, I mean, he was absolutely cooking everybody that went against him. D- he was DK playing with Metcalf a bum.
2: whined from the opening whistle to when the Titans scored in overtime in that game.
0: Yeah, because he was just begging for targets and then when he got targets he couldn't catch them. Like I mean, I I mean it was brutal. Like Christian Fulton is outstanding. Like it, I I firmly believe that if he played the full season, he would be a Pro Bowl player undoubtedly. I mean, he's one of the best young corners in the NFL. Like I
2: think the the problem with him will be name recognition.
0: Yeah, it, now the one thing that will help him is that he's on a team like the Titans when everybody is searching for answers on why they're good and if he gets an interception or two over the next few weeks you know everybody'll lose their mind and they'll talk about how good he is even though he's been that good the whole time like like I said with the Mike Vrabel thing uh, when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago before the Rams game Everybody has this energy where they don't actually watch Titans games and they've latched onto the idea that Derrick Henry is the best running back of all time and they're right like he's awesome like that he's undoubtedly a hall of fame player in my book but when he went out and the team kept winning they just they have to find a place to shoot that energy to explain you know, to not look like idiots for not watching, yeah. which is where the Mike Vrabel Coach of the Year stuff comes from, and it's where the Kevin Byard Defensive Player of the Year stuff comes from. Maybe we can channel that towards Christian Fulton getting the recognition he deserves too.
2: Yeah, the, the reason I would change my answer to Beyer, and I don't know how I forgot about him. That was bad on on Matthias and, and my part. Um, he he runs the show. That's the phrase that Vrabel always uses when he gets asked about Byard. He says he runs the show for us on defense. And so in terms of you know an overall contribution, he has the stats, five interceptions, nearly 50 tackles. He's involved on in nearly every play. He had the fumble recovery for a touchdown against the Jags. Uh, but beyond that, what he does from a communication standpoint, from an alignment standpoint, he runs the show. And, and so you know, if we're talking about most valuable player on this Titans team so far this year, uh, I, I think it's KB.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, and it's crazy uh, what a difference a year makes because last year we were talking about him like on a steady decline because he was not himself last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wasn't making plays. He was so hesitant on everything, and this year he is the best I think we've ever seen him play, and the whole defense has been better off for it.
2: You know, there's an old, old him Called none of self and all of thee, and it's about like you know sacrificing yourself for God. What has happened with Kevin Byard is none of Rabel, all of Bowen.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> that has been what has happened. I,
0: any remarks on that? <laughs> I, I was waiting for uh, Matthias to chime in, but I'll do it a hit. I, I, When you said uh, there's an old hymn, and, it's like, and you were referring to that, I was like, and this hymn is about Jeffrey Simmons and Kevin Byard. No, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, but but, but I, I get what you're saying now. Let's do I stuff. was waiting for
3: Will's haiku. That's what <laughs> I was for. Yeah, yeah.
0: That I've written out. Well, well,
2: if the Titans can beat, the, we're not going to bore you with a, an in-depth preview of the one and eight Texans. You can, if you want to f- want that, you can go someplace else. We'll, we're, we just talk about fun stuff on here. It's time for stop the nonsense, guys. Uh, as we get into stop the nonsense, I don't know where I was going with that. I'll, I'll start. <laughs> my, my stop the nonsense close runner up is Marquise Flowers, who's a former NFL player. Who, if you look at his Twitter timeline, it's just like. Tons of tweets at Titans fans. Very bizarre. Um, I'm going to go with the Robert Sala, Rex Ryan thing. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, Rex Ryan called out Sala, who coaches a two-win football team. And then Sala got asked about it. It sounded like on the radio. And Sala was like, if he's got a problem with me, he knows where to find me. I'm like, dude and he didn't say it in a way that was like a you know meet you around the corner after you know meet meet you behind the building after it wasn't like that but i like can you imagine if i you know i don't know some if the titans lose and someone on tv's like man Mike Vrabel is just overrated and and not very good and we're like Mike Vrabel what do you think about that like Vrabel would give us this look and be like next question and then, But Sala was like, he knows where he can find me if he's got a problem with me. I'm like, dude, just stop. You've won two games. You're not in a position to be making comments like that. And then his brother had this tweet on, on, on Twitter, you know, the place where tweets happen. And he's like, you know, <laughs> Rex Ryan needs to shut his mouth and go back to podiatry. I'm like, okay, dude, like, y'all need to calm down. This is stupid. Imagine getting riled up by Rex Ryan. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd be riled up by the that. fact that I've won two games Yeah, in 2021 Insane Um, I'll, I'll do mine because I'm Actually pretty pumped up about it Uh, So, y'all have to have seen this We haven't even talked about this But did y'all see on uh, Sunday morning When everybody was talking about How great Russell Wilson was Because he rehabbed for 19 hours yes. a day And they were calling him Wolverine, Wolverine. This yeah. is this is the worst. Like, if How's, there was, if there was four games in a row where Russell Wilson and Ben Roethlisberger played each other, they would both explode to just outdo the other one, and how good they are, and how like how much they're overcoming. It's the worst. <laughs> like, the worst thing in the world is when you see these agents that leak out these. Like, I, I mean, they leak out like, wow. I don't know. It's supposed to be a six week recovery time, but he's going to make it in three. It, there's no, no way no Russell man.
2: Wilson rehabbed for 19 hours a day. Dude has a wife and kids.
0: I I mean, the, so that's the uh, that's the tweet from Ian Rappaport it says uh, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson rehabbed 19 hours a day because he's a Wolverine. And Arif Hassan very funnily said, "So he just moved his finger a lot, right?" Yeah, but, and it's like, yeah, like that's what it is. Like it's, I mean. Like, you can't throw – I mean, it's not like – I mean, they're throwing showing pictures of him, like, throwing and, like, working out. I'm, like, he wasn't doing that for 19 hours a day. Like, he was just moving his hand around. And they were like, well, how many hours were you awake today? He's like, I guess 19. It's like, wow, that's a lot. Like, so you only slept five hours? Like, why don't we just say you rehab for 19 hours? And they're like, perfect. And I'm just like, quit over-exaggerating these injuries. This is why one of the few things I agree with Mike Vrabel on is because of this – rapid timetable stuff where if you say six to 10 weeks like they do with Henry and he's not back in six weeks, people are going to be like, oh, he's not healing correctly. Like people set these yeah. artificial time markers and they're like, oh, you know, it's a seven week injury, but he's going to really bust it and try to be back in four weeks. And it's like, then it's a four week injury. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, you can't rehab any, like it's ridiculous to me.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I saw that Sunday and I was like, there's no way this is true. And it's also a finger injury.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, I could close this out here uh, with, uh, obviously we have to talk about it, I think, uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Mm. Um. Man, I honestly, I didn't want to talk about it, but it's just, it's so dumb, man. Like why, why put this out into the world? Why do you feel the need to say that the Titans are not a real eight and two whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, and then I think Max Kellerman comes in with maybe if the 8-2 was on a team like the Chiefs, we'd believe it was a real team. Uh, even though we beat the Chiefs 27-3 to a couple weeks ago. So I don't know, man. Like I, I think Titans fans get too riled up by, by this stuff, actually, and-, and I feel like we shouldn't care what other people say, but – when Keyshawn Johnson and Max Kellerman go out on national TV and spout off this just BS. It's BS because there's like nothing to back it up. They just don't like the Tennessee Times because they're not in a big market and they just can't believe that this team is 8-2 and, and is the one seed um, and might be the best team in the AFC. They just can't put it through their heads and they don't want it to happen because, of course, they want Patrick Mahomes uh, or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen to be the ones that are eight and two in the one seed uh, and the true contender in the AFC, but it's just so stupid, man. It really is.
2: Yeah, the dumbest thing he said is when he was like, "Well, you know, if we gave the Chiefs an eight and two record, then maybe." I'm like, "But that's not how this works. You don't like. You're not given a, It's not like you draw out of a hat. They've earned this
0: record." Yeah, it's not a rank. It's not the college football ranking. Exactly. It's, it's like an uh, like an objectively true and <laughs> look if they would have only beaten like the jaguars and texans uh, somehow eight times like it, okay cool but they played the hardest schedule in the yeah. nfl and yeah. it, you're saying it before they played the easiest schedule in the nfl like it's like you're setting yourself up to look like a moron and it, like look you can be stupid like that's fine like you you can embarrass yourself but like just just don't like, this is a reputation that Titans fans have, but it's like we have this reputation of, you know, we just turn into a buzzsaw whenever anybody disrespects us and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, but if you say this stuff for attention and you get the attention you crave, but it's negative attention, don't come crying to me in six weeks saying, well, Titans fans won't believe this, but I don't think they're a real 14 or two team heading into the last week. of It's like, shut up, man. Nobody cares.
2: Quickly, before we exit, because we were asked to talk about this,
1: and we really should. How do we feel about Tennessee Tickle Monsters?
0: Yeah, long, long pause. That's that's a good question. Um, so I hate it. uh,
3: (laughs) pretty, Pretty like. Am I the only one who didn't didn't see this? Like.
2: Matthias, it was all I saw name? for forty-eight hours this weekend, from yeah. Friday to Sunday morning. I saw nothing other than Tennessee Tickle Monsters.
0: Well, you didn't write a story where you called them that or anything, did you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, and that no I been didn't. Crazy. Uh, like, look, like it's a terrible nickname, but that's kind <laughs> of the point—is yeah, that it's supposed yeah. to be a terrible nickname? But I don't like that point. I guess, like, I'm like it. To me it's not like oh nicknames are silly so we're going to give us a stupid one. It's like well then you just have the least fun nickname of the group but and you're still getting a nickname.
2: I think it's fun. I think it was just like overdone. Like I got tired. I was like, oh, "Okay, like after the millionth joke about it, it started to get a little old." But like I loved that you know, Simmons or whoever got the first sack on Sunday and all I saw on the timeline was tickle tickle. I'm like, "Okay, that's pretty funny." <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's I, yeah, that's yeah. I guess that it is funny when they get a sack and then they like, then it pops up because I'm like, okay, but like, imagine if that was something cool. <laughs> like that, that's what I just keep going back to.
2: Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for us. We'll be back next week to recap the Texans game and look ahead to what's after that, which I believe is New England, right? Correct. That is correct. All right. We will do that next Wednesday. Until then, uh, have fun, enjoy yourselves, watch the game, and stop the nonsense.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time,